Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey everyone, and thanks for listening. Today I'm speaking with Sean Knapp, CEO and founder of Ascend, a data engineering platform that's raised 50 million in funding. Sean, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me, Brett. Yeah, no problem. So before we begin talking about what you're building, can we start with just a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Happy to share. As you mentioned, founder CEO of Ascend.io. Honestly, my background's pretty simple and straightforward. A geeky software engineer that did my undergrad back at Stanford about 20 years ago. Actually, I'm hitting my 20-year anniversary or 20-year reunion this year. So that should be fun. Spent my early career at Google as a software engineer for three years. Founded a company called Uyala with two other Googlers back in 2007. And we built that up for eight years until it was acquired and then started Ascend in 2015. So let's go back to the early days. I see that Google, your time there started in 2004, which must have been a very interesting time to be part of the company. What was it like working at Google as a software engineer right out of Stanford in 2004? Oh my gosh, it's so much fun. It was a really, really fortunate time to join at Google, in particular to join as really a, a front-end engineer on web search at a point in time where there was no notion of a front-end software engineer back then. But it was a this you know really incredible experience as Google in 2004 was about a thousand people, and there had been tremendous innovation happening all throughout the, the company. But one of the places where there hadn't been a lot of iteration or, or innovation yet was around the user experience side of search in particular. And so it was this perfect point in time where you know for me coming out of, of my master's program with a focus on human computer interaction. I was able to pair up with a number of other engineers and product managers and start to run a lot of these really exciting experiments that in short form amounted to pushing around a bunch of pixels, tweaking and tuning the user experience, but then running a lot of data processing jobs to analyze the efficacy of this, where we were trying to improve our metrics and our scores around user happiness, as well as actually ad revenue. So it was this really cool playground back in the day from a creative and data perspective of just how much you could experiment and iterate and how fast you got this feedback loop going, which was, was really quite fun. Yeah, I can imagine. And I'm sure you walked away with a lot of valuable lessons from your time at Google there. But if you had to pick one, what would you say is the number one thing that you learned there that you applied in your previous company and then what you're building today at Ascend? I think the unifying theme from Google to Uyala to Ascend has really been around the power of data. And I think, you know, there's that old saying that software is eating the world. And I think, you know, we can all agree that software has successfully eaten the world in every company these days as a software company. But the step beyond that is software does many things very well, but two things it does exceptionally well is emit large volumes of unrefined data and consume smaller volumes of refined data to do really remarkable and incredible things. And, you know, not even knowing it back, you know, at 24 year old Sean, who didn't even know how unique and special that was, to be perfectly honest, back then, was this really interesting new experience where you got to see how powerful a truly software and truly data-driven company could be from the really early days. I think that has been a very consistent theme all throughout 
my career and, and things that I've experienced both personally and have observed in a number of other companies. And when you were making the jump to start your first company, what was your psychology like? Did you have you know, friends and family telling you that you were insane? Were they super supportive? Like what was going on in your brain? And you know, how hard of a decision was that to leave Google and, and go into the unknown and start your own company? <laughs> uh, it was definitely an interesting experience. I'm sure, you know, as I look back at it now, my parents, you know, I, I assume like many parents and were like, oh my gosh, we made it. The kids are graduated. They have stable jobs. We're done. We're in the clear. And then all of a sudden, one of your sons pops up and says, hey, so this really great job with this really amazing company that will paint a path for an amazing career for the entire rest of my life yeah, I think I'm going to do something different. And I'm going to go from a point of high stability and uh, reliability to the polar opposite end of the spectrum with ultra high risk and instability. I'm sure my parents were absolutely terrified. And, and honestly, I was too, but probably not at that point, 26 year old me, you definitely wouldn't be willing to show that. And, you know, huge kudos to all family and friends. Everybody was supportive. I'm sure, I'm sure they were all talking to each other about how crazy and insane we all were. But, you know, I think that's one of the cool parts about having a, a very supportive family and network around you. And you know, in hindsight, very glad and very excited to have made that leap and jumped all the way from, you know, rapid growing. I think Google was about 10,000 people around the time we left to when my two co-founders, Paul Cesar and Bismarck and I started Uliala. You know, I think it was a very, very different experience, but gosh, what an exciting journey that was. And, and so very glad that we did it. Yeah, I can imagine. And two other questions we'd like to ask, just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder and entrepreneur. What CEO do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? I've been thinking about this a lot and I'll probably have to, I'm going to answer a different question because, you know, as I think about this a bunch, I just celebrated a week and a half ago, my family celebrated our grandmother's 90th birthday. And it was this really amazing experience. You know, we in tech oftentimes look at all the amazing CEOs that are running all of the amazing companies and, and they are truly exceptional and amazing. But I think the reason why I look up so much to actually my grandparents' generation, you hear the stories of you know how hard they worked and what they went through and what they sacrificed and for such little gain in return. You know, they worked so incredibly hard. I, I would contend far harder than almost any entrepreneur or CEO that I know. And they did it to put food on the table for four to six kids, generally speaking, and, you know, hopefully to pay for, you know, college for a couple of the kids. And so even as a CEO, you know, oftentimes I look at all the other CEOs and you'd be so inspired by what they've created, but I look at the sheer grit and fortitude of my grandparents and that generation. And, you know, frankly, for me, the things that, that propel me forward is thinking about their journey and really wanting to not squander the sacrifices and compromises they made to afford all of us this opportunity. And so I think that's the, as I think about, you know, who inspires you the most, it's actually looking back at that that he does it for me. That's such a cool answer. You know, I've had a, about a hundred episodes so far and I've asked everyone that same question. I, I think that's the, the coolest one that I've heard so far. And, uh, You'll have to share this with grandma after it goes live. You gave her a shout out, so that'll make her happy. <laughs> you should meet grandma, Betty. She's pretty impressive. <laughs> nice. We'll have to get her on the show at some point. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nice. And what about books? Is there a specific book that's had a major impact on you as a founder? And I always say this can be a business book or it could just be a personal book that's really influenced how you view the world. Yeah, you know, I think one that I've read more recently is Frank Slootman's Amp It Up. I really enjoyed that book. You know, if you ask my wife about it, she would probably tell you that it's definitely um, reinforcing and, and a bit of observation bias around certainly the kind of culture that I like to create and certainly the, the kind of, of environment that we really hope to foster and achieve at Ascend as we scale. But I've really enjoyed reading through his book and just the, the simplicity and the singular focus around the outcome and the mission of the business and ensuring that everybody is aligned to those same goals and removing the distractions, removing the waste and just maniacally focused on that one particular goal. I think it's an amazing reminder not just for big companies, but frankly, for small companies to sort of survive and thrive and pursuit of being a big company too. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I just finished that book recently. It's so good. And it's really refreshing to read a book from an operator. He's you know still in the hot seat. He's still doing all this stuff. It's not written yep. by a, a management consultant or someone who you know sold a startup 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, he's very much still in the thick of things and, and still building yep. and executing. So he's an amazing operator. Yep, wholeheartedly agree. Now, let's dive deeper into Ascend.io. Can you start with the origin story behind the company, and then we'll dive deeper into what the product does? Yeah, so the history behind Ascend you know, really started back at Uyala, my last company, where I was the CTO and head of product for a number of the years. And one of the greatest advantages that we had as part of our product was our investments in data and analytics. We had absolutely amazing technology team that was years ahead of the competition from a, a data and analytics perspective. And this was you know, really the primary reason we were acquired was because of how advanced we were in that one dimension. We had amazing other product and technology too, but it was all data enriched and data enhanced. And when I looked at what we had done at Uyala, you know, for a 500 person company of which about 200 to 250 people were in the product and engineering organization, we had about 60 people just on data and analytics and product associated with those. And that was a massive investment, one that most companies couldn't afford from a ratio perspective. And we had access to some truly remarkable talent. And as I watched more and more of what we were building, it was becoming clear that over time, many portions of this will be commoditized. And oftentimes we have this new saying at Ascend, which is last year's innovation is next year's anchor around your neck. And it, it is very true where we make these huge technology investments to propel ahead of our competitors in the market. But because technology advances so quickly, those can very quickly become the debt that will hold you back. And what I noticed was over the course of time, all these common patterns start to emerge. So after Uyala was acquired and I did the, the requisite founder takes time off, you know, three to six months, go wander in the forest and find your soul and, and all that, that other good stuff. Yeah. What I kept coming back into as I was talking to other startups and friends and companies and VCs was this whole notion of not only is every company going to become a data company, but there's this other really big shift that is happening that will accelerate a, a pretty significant challenge and opportunity in that industry, which is if you roll a clock forward, and I think it's becoming pretty 
apparent nowadays is we today now have near infinite storage and compute capacity and at rapidly approaching zero cost. And when you pair that with amazing technologies like Snowflake, like Databricks, like Google's BigQuery and Amazon's uh, Redshift and Athena and so on, and you take all of these amazing technologies, they're all moving more and more cloud-centric and more and more SaaS first, the landscape starts to change dramatically as the availability and accessibility of these technologies to store and process incredibly large volumes of data goes up dramatically. The sheer number of people who are going to do things with data goes up exponentially. And you hit this break point in complexity as every person in every organization of every company is trying to do things with data that is all interdependent on each other. And that really starts to introduce the next scale challenge for, for the data ecosystem in general, which is a, a productivity and an automation challenge. Not a, a, can I store enough bits and bytes, but can I get enough people doing enough productive things with data fast enough? And that was really the core driver behind Ascend is this belief in the inevitability of, you know, what I would contend is, is frankly the challenge that is now starting to face the industry. Super interesting. Now talk to us about the product. So how does the product work? What does it do? And, and what problem does it solve in, in the customer's words? How do they describe that pain point that you're solving for them? I think the first description would probably be amazing. That's clearly my own personal bias. The product is really focused on achieving two things. First part is you provide a single pane of glass for what we like to describe as being the verbs of data engineering. The things you need to do to effectively create data pipelines, ingest data, transform it, orchestrate those pipelines, observe how the pipelines are operating, deliver the data out to other parts of your ecosystem. By providing a single pane of glass, we greatly ease the, the adoption curve and accessibility even further for building these data systems and, and connecting your ecosystem. The second big part of Ascend is, I think, very, very critical because if we, if we just make things more accessible, that's kind of increasing the problem, if you will, because you're just enabling more people to create more things that could actually break over time. And so we pair that with the second part, which is really a really advanced investment in the ability to create what we call these intelligent data pipelines. And the notion behind these intelligent data pipelines are the fact that these data pipelines are aware of the data that's flowing through them and the code that operates on them. And the idea behind this is because you can create this single pane of glass that encompasses those verbs of data engineering, all of these actions and all of these things that you're doing inside of these systems emits huge volumes of metadata around what is happening inside of the system, who is accessing which pieces of data, what code ran on that data, where did it put you know, the resulting data from, and, and you collect all this amazing metadata. And all of that is actually the fuel into the intelligence engine that helps you build these intelligent data pipelines such that they operate faster, they operate more cost-effectively, and they operate with a lower maintenance burden than any other traditional data pipeline you could build. And it's that combination of these two that is really this, this killer combination for the next wave of data pipelines being built today. And what's the status quo look like for customers? If they're not using you, what are they using? And then what's the competitive landscape look like? Yeah, it's a very noisy landscape today. And I think it's a landscape that has a lot of different point solutions, as well as a lot of custom 
and bespoke solutions being built. And so you'll see that there's a lot of technologies being built out there that you may grab a particular technology for data ingest and another one for data transformation and another one for uh, what's usually called delivery or reverse ETL. And then another orchestration technology, you'll grab a lot of these pieces of technology, but usually where the majority of the time and energy is spent is 80 plus percent of your time is being spent wrapping all of these technologies in the construction of a modern data platform on top of all of those. And I think that's where the biggest challenge and opportunity exists in the market today is in removing what is really just a lot of wiring up and integration of these technologies that are cool technologies, but shifts so much of the workload towards for the data teams just to connect things versus actually focused on the data and what you want to produce with that data. And that's why we're so excited about providing that single pane of glass, as well as the intelligence layer for creating these intelligent data pipelines, it gets users focused back on the data and the automation factors and and really producing high quality, high value data products out of their pipelines. And could you give us an idea of what adoption and growth looks like and just any numbers that you can share there? So obviously as a smaller early stage uh, private company, we don't disclose too many numbers, but you know, we've seen pretty consistently uh, quarter over quarter, year over year, well beyond 2x growth across our number of users, how much time they spend in the product, how many pipelines they build. And of course, for the investors out there, of course, in revenue as well. But I've been really fortunate to continue to see some pretty phenomenal growth across our customer base. And as you mentioned there, it is a, a very crowded and noisy landscape today. So what would you attribute to your success in that growth? You know, how are you rising above all of that noise and, and breaking through the noise to connect with customers? Great question. You know, for us, I think there's a lot of noise. And in many ways, we are excited for there to be a, a little bit more of a down market and an extended down market as the noise seems to go away a bit more. And I think it will start to cut through that and focus a lot more on the substance. And that's, you know, really for us, what matters and, and why we win is it's a lot less about the hype or the promise of what you could do with data or, you know, large, big, so I would say sort of brand-based spending. For us, we get the product in the hands of customers and we win the vast majority of the time. Once somebody puts their hands on the product, they fall in love with it because they see the productivity gains that they get. They realize they may not have to work 10, 12 hour days to achieve their team's goals. They realize that they're not going to get paged at three in the morning because some pipeline broke. And for them, the real world tangible benefits of being faster, more productive, and having more stable systems just wins the day. That makes a lot of sense. And in terms of adoption, is it you know more kind of cloud native? tech companies in you know Silicon Valley, or is it just you know, Fortune 500 companies? What types of companies are you seeing the most traction with today? We see, I think, you know, traction from two different cohorts. Uh, we see traction first for people who are just starting out on this, what we'll call them the modern cloud data platform uh, journey. And oftentimes they're coming from a traditional on-prem implementation where they may have SQL Server and SSIS or Teradata and Talent or Informatica. And they're looking for how do they bridge into this cloud world where they know they can get a lot of what they need from 
Snowflake and Databricks and BigQuery, et cetera. But they're still trying to determine what is that platform on top, the developer experience that actually drives the usage and keeps things on the rails. And they're looking for solutions that don't require a large team or even teams of engineers to integrate those solutions because that becomes incredibly expensive and incredibly slow. And so they're looking for that holistic benefit. We see that interestingly has the same behavior as high growth, rapidly growing and investing startups who similarly don't have the time to waste to try and build uh, out huge platforms that may not see the light of day for the next 12 to 18 months and instead just wants to start putting points up on the board. And so that's the first cohort that we see a lot of. The second cohort has generally gone through that the path I described of trying to build out your own platform. And I've realized that over the course of usually two to three years, that that strategy is no longer differentiated in a pure tax on the productivity of their data teams. And so very often we see customers with both uh, really advanced uh, tech startups and the thousands of employees, as well as really large enterprises who were early adopters in many ways in, the, in this space, circling back and saying, just as we believe it's no longer differentiated to run our own data center, we believe it is no longer differentiated to run our own data platform. And we want higher levels of automation that we are able to build on top of to get that same advantage and that, that same benefit. And mm -hmm. so we get a lot of these re-platform customers who are looking to get onto the next advanced layer of technology. And so it tends to be on those barbells where we do really well. Mm, interesting. And that, that does make sense. Now, another thing I wanted to ask about is market category. So how do you view the market category that you're in today? And you know, what's your long-term category strategy going forward? Are you going to try to you know, transform and evolve an existing category? Or is this a category creation play at some point? I do think it's a category creation play. I would love for that not to be the reality because it sounds way easier to just drop into an existing category. But the reality is, you know, we see a tremendous need for data pipeline automation as a fundamental category. And the challenge here is there's been tremendous innovation at the level below that around the data platforms, the snowflakes and databricks, et cetera, of the world, as I mentioned. And there continues to be a growing need for automation at the layer above, I don't think that's going to go away. And I don't think that tucks into any existing category. The existing categories simply aren't advanced enough. They don't exhibit the same behaviors. And you know, the way that we think about this is, you know, we run an annual survey. And one of the questions we asked, and again, this is a completely anonymous survey. It doesn't go to assigned customers. It goes through an independent third party who goes and finds the 500 people we go and ask these questions to. Really basic question. Do you currently or do you intend on in the future investing in automation to increase your team's productivity as it pertains to data? These are all uh, sent to data teams. And the shocking result for us was only about three and a half percent of people said they currently had investments in automation, which is shockingly low as more than three and a half percent use orchestration technologies or traditional ETL tools, you name it. And so the, the really interesting part is Whatever exists in the industry today, that group has largely said does not count as automation, which may not actually matter, except for the fact that over 85% of the very same people 
said they intend on investing in automation in the next six to 12 months. I think that's a really important thing that as we think of more and more teams being put under greater and greater strain to produce more with less, we see that there's something that exists out there around automation that only three and a half percent of people have, but that 85% of people want and on, intend on obtaining in the not too distant future would signal that there's this incredible desire in the market for automation to improve the lives of data teams. And that's why I think that, you know, ultimately there is a fundamental need for a new category here. Very interesting and very cool perspective there. One other thing I wanted to ask, which is going to be a bit off track here, but I want to ask about where you're based. So you're in Silicon Valley. I've read in the media that there's an exodus of founders and companies leaving Silicon Valley. So why have you decided to stay? And if you were starting your career again and you wanted to be a founder eventually, would Silicon Valley be the place that you would set up or would you move to you know, Miami or Austin or, or one of those other places? I think that's a good question. You know, ultimately, I think you can tap into talent anywhere. Ascend is a remote first company and we've been very successful in creating a culture that I think is incredibly focused on impact and productivity that affords us the opportunity to remain remote, which I'm not sure that most other companies can or should stay remote first. And so we're in a position where we've been able to be rather flexible. And, you know, if I, I think of if I were to start another company, would I start it somewhere different? Probably not. I think the access to incredible people here is advantageous. I think there's a large number of incredible people elsewhere. To be frank, you also want to play to your strengths and the ability to start a company here to attract people I have worked with before who I've created great other companies with. The network here is, I think, quite remarkable. And I would find myself hard-pressed to go anywhere else to start a company. That's very good perspective as well. Last couple of questions here for you. What excites you most about the work you get to do every day? I think first and foremost, we get to work with really cool companies. I love getting to spend time with our customers. They're solving really neat problems. We get to solve really geeky, fun data engineering problems. But honestly, our customers are the ones out there changing the world. They use our platform to do absolutely amazing things that I'm completely envious of. And we just get to help them do it a little bit faster and better, which I'll take. Like, that's fantastic. But getting to spend time with our customers who are doing such amazing things is, is energizing, to say the least. The second one that gets me really excited, we have an absolutely amazing culture. I love the people we're working with at Ascend. We're actually doing our in kickoff next week. Uh, we, every quarter, we bring people in from all over the world. We have people from Australia to the UK to... Taiwan to all over the US and many other countries, all flying into Austin, Texas to go spend three days together. And I love getting time with the team. I, that absolutely fuels me. And then I'd say the third part that I absolutely love, we get to do the hard work. Like we are solving truly, truly hard problems that I think are long-term essential problems to solve for. It, they're not small incremental improvements. They're not little iterations. There are when we think about waves and wavelets, these are solving for one of the, the large waves that will, will fundamentally propel companies forward over the next 10 years. And I think that's a really important part of 
getting to solve for those hard things that has such an incredible impact for, you know, as I mentioned before, our, our customers. That's amazing. Now let's zoom out into the future. What's the three-year vision look like for the company? So three years from today, what's Ascend look like? So I think Ascend will look a bit different, but I think it'll be a really exciting time. I think if we zoom out and we look at the data ecosystem today, we're you know, hitting these really exciting points of, I would say, ubiquitous acceptance, and not all the way to adoption yet, but ubiquitous acceptance of cloud data platforms and cloud data warehouses as the norm. And we'll continue to see more and more and more workloads move towards those technologies. And the reason why I think that is so exciting is there's this amazing path that we're down right now, which is of incredible competition, innovation, standardization, all happening at what would really be the technology layer just below Ascend from an application stack perspective. And so for us, this is like being a kid in a candy store that never has to leave, where every couple of months, there's these amazing new innovations that are happening and being built out. And these are incredible technologies that we get to continue to do really amazing things on top of. And the reason why I think that's so exciting and why the next few years are going to be so, so amazing is, you know, today we're still in, I think, the early innings of data pipeline automation and enabling these really intelligent data pipelines that make it easier and faster and safer for data teams to rapidly iterate. The more we build, the more metadata we get, the more intelligent the systems become. And as we continue to roll the clock forward, the ability to do incredibly advanced applications on these complex interconnected data meshes and data fabrics that are all fueled by advanced layers of automation and the applications we get to build on top of that that will fuel deeper and deeper innovation, I think it is pretty remarkable. And so what Ascend will look like three years from now is going to be pretty different. We'll have obviously a lot of our core same strategy around enabling data engineering teams, but with a lot more advanced capabilities that empower even larger numbers of teams to build even larger systems and more complex applications that connect their entire data ecosystem. I think that's going to be a pretty exciting future. That certainly sounds exciting. Unfortunately, Sean, that's all we're going to have time to cover for today's interview. But before we wrap up, if people want to follow along with your journey as you build and make this vision happen, where's the best place for them to go? Best place could be go to our website, ascend.io, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter under the same names. Awesome. Sean, thank you so much for taking the time, especially given it's 4 p.m. on a Friday. So I appreciate you coming on, bringing some really interesting insights and perspectives and, and talking about this vision because this is incredibly exciting and look forward to seeing you execute on this vision and hopefully come back and talk to us in a couple of years. I look forward to that. Thank you for having me, Brett. All right, take care. Have a good weekend. Thank you, you too.